Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation, around the world. I hope most of you are in quarantine, self-imposed quarantine, keeping away from this coronavirus bug, this COVID-19, this Wuhan flu, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it has really smacked the world uh, upside the head and, and definitely the sports world. But, uh, you know, as being troopers, uh, myself and uh, my buddy Boston, you know him as Austin Ward, uh, we're continuing our our desire to bring you these uh, Tim May podcasts from week to week. We're going to have a special guest on later in this podcast, Liam McCullough, deep snapper extraordinaire for Ohio State, who uh, planned on showing his wares to the NFL scouts what last week on NFL on the uh, Ohio State Pro Day. But of course, that got canceled. Uh, Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. Uh, not sure if there's ever going to be a pro day now. It looks like the draft. It's not clear. It looks like they want to still hold the draft when, when scheduled, but it'll be by uh, by uplinks by by the teams involved. But uh, yeah, that's just one of the things that's been thrown into disarray uh, as Ohio as Ohio State, the NFL, the world in general deals with this with this coronavirus. Yeah, it won't. Not having a pro day won't really impact most of these Buckeyes. I mean, it's a. Uh... Chase Young was probably going to go number two no matter what. Uh, Jeff Okuda is going to be a top five pick. J.K. Dobbins, uh, what he did already, just meeting with teams at the Combine, he got all that stuff out of the way, go down the list. But some of the guys that didn't get a chance uh, to go to the Combine, uh, you know, thinking of somebody like Robert Landers or Sean Cornell, uh, Brandon Bowen, and then Liam McCullough there. I mean, there's a, there's a he has a marketable skill um, that could make him a living for a long time. And all of our jobs, you know, are impacted by this. But when we're talking about you know, college football players who are you know, graduating or, or left early to make their living the next level at the NFL, there's a lot of uncertainty for these guys. They don't know. It's even hard for them to, you know, find two or three people to record, you know, long snapping or guys working out for, you know, how is Brandon Bowen supposed to show uh, really what he can do without uh, sort of that pro day opportunity and none of these meetings that they could go take with teams with all the travel restrictions um, it's kind of crazy to think about. And obviously we're talking about uh, a game, but, you know, you and I work in sports covering it and these guys play it and that's how they make their living. And it's just another part of uh, how this uh, virus has impacted daily life and professional lives. Yeah, you know, uh, you're exactly right. And uh, But I'm going to throw this interjection in here. Uh, I think I'm going to go blind if I stare at this green light much longer uh, that's uh, signifying that my camera is on. Does yours have a green light on it too? Austin, yeah. Are you are you with me on that? Do you follow what I'm saying there? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm either going to go blind or be cross-eyed. So if I look cross-eyed as this thing progresses, uh, <laughs> let me know. I just hope we got a decent quality going here. Uh, we're experimenting with these things from week to week, trying to get the quality up. But you're exactly right about Brandon Bowen. You know, that falls into if he's got an agent, falls into kind of the purview of his agent to get a get a nice mixtape out there. You know, uh, DVD. Uh, digital recordings, a highlight uh, uh, of him and what he did get done this year when he stepped back into full-time duty and I thought played extremely well as the year went on. Is he a is he a first, second, third-round draft pick? Probably not. Is he still a project? Probably so. But uh, this is a guy I think can definitely – I'm talking about Brandon Bowen as an example – could definitely find work as, a, uh, as either guard or tackle in the NFL. The guy – when he walks through the door, he's immediately impressive. Yep. And then you talk to him, he's impressive. And then he has some impressive video. You agree? Yeah, and I, I think it was one of the last uh, 
one of our uh, Letterman lives at Roosters, we had Jonah Jackson and Brandon Bowen come in yeah. and, and talk about it. And, and, you know, Bowen at that point was like, you know, they, they had a bet on which of those two guys was going to run a better 40. Um, and, and Bowen, you know, was not upset about the combine snub. But initially he thought he would go, but he was like, I still have a pro day. I'm still going to get to show what I can do. This is more fuel for the fire. And then you don't have that opportunity. Um, and, you know, I, I've told him several times I've gone, he doesn't want to complain publicly about the, the combine snub and there's no value in it for him. But for me, I thought it was crazy that the starting right tackle on one of the best offensive lines in the country uh, who had also played guard as a starter previously in his career, why this guy was not invited. Uh, I know that you can't just take everybody in the world, but um, him, him not being there was just confounding to me. I didn't understand it. Uh, he's got a future with guys with his size are very rare. Guys with his experience starting at a school like Ohio State in multiple seasons are even more rare. So, you know, he's, I think he's going to be fine, but it's just, you know, yeah. it, some one of those things that you have a hard – I had a hard time wrapping my mind around before the cancellations, and then it became even worse for him, you know, trying to get through this and, and raise a young son and, and, you know, with his fiance at home and all these other things. Like, that just yeah. – that one blew my mind. You know, it'd be interesting thing. I, I think the combine, the way it works, I can't remember the number, the minimum number of teams that have to have an interest in you, show an interest in you. That's how the combine invitations come about, you know. And he might have had – I think the minimum number is three. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, but that's kind of how it works because you can't invite everybody, as you well know. And there are guys clearly who go to the combine every year, combine every year who don't get drafted, and there are guys who don't go who do get drafted. So <clears throat> it'll it'll figure out in the wash. Like I said, you know, he can he can uh, show his part, uh, his agent or whatever can put together a video that can show the part he had in for what for one thing launching the most prolific rushing season in Ohio State history by J.K. Dobbins <laughs> and uh, Justin Fields, uh, the great uh, Heisman finalist season he had. Uh, you know, so there are a lot of things that he has going for him, I think, down the road. And I, like I said, I, the, the other thing that has – and, we'll, you know, we'll talk about this before the draft comes around, but the other thing he and some other guys have is his upside is still in front of him, in my opinion. You know, he's still climbing that hill. I don't want to equate it at all with the coronavirus uh, flattening the hill thing <laughs> that we're all dealing with right now. But uh, but I, that's why I think he definitely has a promise. But, you know, let's, let's jump back to uh, the news of last week and how it impacts Ohio State going forward. I called it the trifecta week for want of another term because uh, early in the week, as you, uh, as you scooped everybody on, Trey Sermon, the running back from Oklahoma, who uh, put himself into the graduate transfer portal, opted to, de to decide he's going to Ohio State, he's going to play at Ohio State this season, comma, if there is a season, comma, uh, going to transfer, it'd be his final year in college football. And then uh, Travion Henderson, the highly regarded, maybe the number one running back in the country for the 2021 class, <clears throat> announced late in the week that he is committed to Ohio State. So quite the trifecta, right, Boston? Yeah, it's uh... – Tony Alford, really, he's serving it up on a tray there to have one more Ooh, on, I like on, it. on top of it. You throw in Evan Pryor, you know, the week before, and this is really just a pretty incredible run there for Tony Alford. Uh, and, and really it's building off of – it's there's always this debate, like, you know, Berm's been talking about on his show with, with Chive, Spencer Holbrook, like that Tony Alford had this, this rough year because they missed out on 
on two kids in the previous recruiting cycle. Well, I mean, he hadn't lost his touch as a direct coach because, as you said before, J.K. Dobbins just posted the first 2,000-yard rushing season uh, in Ohio State history. He had a backup that ran for almost 800 yards in Master Teague. He must have been doing something right developing those guys and building relationships with the players already in his room. And then he turns right around and goes into the next cycle and gets two of the top five to ten running backs in the country, a five-star and a four-star, and somebody that he had initially recruited, you know, three, four years ago uh, in Trey Sermon, who still uh, loved his experience dealing with Tony Alford and wanted to play in Ryan Day's offense and and be taught by this guy who just had a 2,000-yard rusher. So uh, he hadn't – Tony Alford had not suddenly forgot how to coach or how to recruit. Um, We all have bad days in the office, uh, sometimes bad years, but when you stack it all up, Tony Alford still remains one of the, you know, best assistant coaches at, at that position in the country. And then he said he's got three people now in a row that just validated that for him moving in, you know, to 2020 and beyond. So it's a huge deal because we spent all spring talking about this running back position and, and how in the current state of it, when it got to be Master Teague being hurt and Marcus Crowley being hurt uh, and only Steel Chambers. And then suddenly everything is lined up for years to come. It's funny how that happens, though. If you you know if you follow my drift, I mean, opportunity, man. People see opportunity. Obviously, Sermon sees opportunity immediately for his senior season, and uh, obviously, you know, he's coming off uh, uh, knee surgery or knee injury from last year, which he 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 lost half of his season last year at Oklahoma after a knee injury. So he's got a little bit to prove, but uh, by all reports, he's coming along extremely well from that. Uh, we have we're really not clear. You know, you're hearing good things about Marcus Crowley and he'll be ready for preseason camp, comma, if there is a preseason camp, comma. Uh, but you don't know for, for certain. Uh, so Sermon sees opportunity. And then if you're Henderson, you're sitting there, you know, they, they're signing Evan Pryor. But, uh, you know, the, you look at the, the stockpile at the running back thing, you're talking about Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers and Meon Williams who's coming in uh, this season, comma, if there is a season, comma, uh, he's part of the 2020 recruiting class. But, uh, you know, the, that's what guys look at all the time. And I think it has, number one, you got to show you're going to use your running backs in a big-time way. Ohio State has definitely proven that, with the exception of one year, 2018, when Dwayne Haskins Jr. just lit it up. But even then, yeah. you know, uh, J.K. Dobbins still had a 1,000-yard a rushing year. But what Ohio State has proven – the last several years, especially in the first season under Ryan Day, is they can throw the ball prolifically and the Buckeyes can run the ball prolifically. And I think that's – you have to show that attraction to people. But but the main thing is it's opportunity, and I think all these guys are seeing that. And, I mean, I look at Henderson, man. You watch his video, and uh, it's crazy. I mean, the guy averaged over 12 yards a carry <laughs> this past season. As his team what won the, what, the 3A title in Virginia. And uh, and you guys, of course, did a good job of of a video and you know having a little conversations with him over the last month or so. And Berm had that exclusive interview with him the day he opted to uh, commit to Ohio State. But you know, what does he, from what you've seen of him, one, uh, Austin, what does he bring to the table that uh, I don't know uh, piques your interest? Yeah. So you know, Berm and I, right before the shutdown, we're on our our road trip and we met with Travion Henderson there in Virginia. <laughs> talked with his coach and you know he was a really 
Uh, he, he's like, we've, we've worn this out, this expression, like they, they're recruiting good players and, and better people. Um, you know, yes, sir. No, sir. To every conversation that I had with him, uh, his yeah. coach, Yerby, you know, opened the doors and took us into the weight room and talked about, you know, this kid's work ethic. He, he physically, I think, I can't remember exactly what Berm said that they listed him at. I think it was 5'11". Somewhere. 195, yeah. yeah. He was he was bigger than that. Uh, yeah. He, he kind of reminded me uh, a little bit uh, of Zeke in terms of his physique. His physique. And, Say that uh, again three Zeke, times. <laughs> Zeke physique, I don't know if I could. That doesn't even – it doesn't sound right coming out. But uh, And then he kind of carried himself in a way that reminded me of J.K. Dobbins. And I know that that's a weird – you know, that's a high bar to, to mash up those two people. But, you know, quiet, polite, uh, hardworking kid. Um, like J.K., he hadn't visited uh, Ohio State when he made the decision to commit, uh, which is kind of a, a unique recall there. It tells you about Tony Alford's ability to communicate with these kids without necessarily having to get them into Columbus. Um, yeah. I mean, the highlight reel, as you, as you said, is absolutely absurd. Um, I had just watched it the first time. Berm's like, you probably should see this before you meet him and talk to him because, you know, sometimes they're all, they all seem the same. Oh, this kid scored a couple touchdowns and that you get into it and it's 15 minutes of nothing but touchdowns and 53 of them. And then, you know, he was averaging, I think just like 13 carries a game because they didn't need him in second halves and they wanted to save some of the wear and tear for the next level. It's, which was kind of crazy to hear his high school coach talk about that, but this is the kind of talent that they're dealing with. They know that there was, a huge bright future for him. And he didn't want to wear him out just doing this in high school when it was unnecessary. Cause basically every time he touched the ball, he was going to score. Yeah. As, as, as I said too, there's a great, there's a great part of the video though that pops up every now and then where he, he's playing a team that's in red with a, uh, with gold or yellow helmets and the field <laughs> is not in the greatest shape. And literally every time somebody takes a step, dust flies up and, uh, <laughs> And you know, as, I, as I tweeted out to folks, it's like literally like watching somebody leave you in their dust. I mean, it, it was crazy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I've always, because I told you, I grew up in, you know, East Texas, you know, saw Billy Sims play live a couple times. You know, Earl Campbell played against my high school, Lufkin, you know, when he was at John Tyler. And mm-hmm. uh, just saw a lot of great running backs down in that area. And it's just amazing on the high school level, how a great running back just pops off the screen or pops off the field at you. And it's worth the price of admission to go watch. And, you know, it'd be great to go watch him play his senior year this year, a couple of times over at Hopewell, Virginia, right? Yeah. It's it. And you know, it's not, it wasn't that bad of a drive. I think it was like, you know, Berm and I broke it up and, uh, you know, stayed maybe an hour or so away, but you get to Richmond six, six and a half, maybe seven hours, maybe just a little bit more depending on your traffic. I think that's part of the appeal too. Um, you know, for Travion Henderson and his family to pick this this spot. It's manageable, you know, to get there in a day. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, to watch him do this in person because, uh, you know, his coach also said that there's a limited number of teams that they can play in their area that, you know, match up in their rankings. So they play up several – against yeah. several opponents in the Richmond area, and he still dominates just that same way. It's not like he's beating up on, you know, truly outmatched competition in every game. He's just – He's that he's that great of an athlete, and you know his senior year, what he can accomplish there, the the numbers he could put up, the you know, records he could break, it's pretty it's pretty outlandish. And you know you hope that that everybody gets their chance for their senior season or college football this year to watch that because it could be truly special what what he could accomplish. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you worry about running backs uh, <clears throat> have a have a, a, a junior year like he had. I think he only had like 198 or 200 carries, which isn't a lot. Right. And the reason is because a lot of those went the distance, you know. <laughs> so so you worry a little bit about the wear and tear, but Bill, you watch his video and he didn't get a lot of tear. He no, he didn't get a lot of wear, but he did get a lot of tears, as in he just took took off in a tear to the end zone. And uh, I knew I'd make that work eventually. I gotta get that joke back into the uh into the <laughs> wheelhouse and groove uh, groove on it a little bit. But but the bottom line is that's what stands out about him and uh, and like you said Seems like a, just a, a, a great young man. And, you know, with a couple of, like, ridiculous exceptions that came up a couple of months ago in the Ohio State family, they've been recruiting pretty high-level individuals the right. last several years. Uh, and that seems to carry on, right, Boston? Yeah, I think both of these guys, you know, at the running back position fit the bill. And, and same deal when I talked with Trey Sermon, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, on the phone. They, these guys are um, – they carry themselves well. Now, you still have to go out and, and prove it. We, uh, as, as you mentioned in the past, like sometimes we have limited dealings with these people, but I think you look at uh, the recent classes, there's been a noticeable shift. I mean, you, you talk to uh, those guys, you know that they've got bright futures and can accomplish a lot on and off the field. The same is true if you go back to what, you know, our experience is talking with Harry Miller. You know, these guys that they are bringing in are just, you know, Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud. Like, you're blown away by them when you get to meet them, and, and you know that they've got uh, their heads on straight. And I think what's really interesting, too, about these two running backs is they're coming in in the same class. They're both highly touted. They could have gone anywhere and been the guy. But you you referenced, like, 2018 and, and J.K.'s year and the struggles with the running game. But, you know, Mike Weber was pretty close where they almost had – two guys go over a thousand yards. I think yeah. that, that, that sort of resonates with uh, guys like Evan Pryor and Travion Henderson, because they, they also are thinking in their mind that it would be great to share the workload and not have to have 300 carries a year in college so that you can get to the next level. Evan Pryor's coach was sitting in his office in North Carolina and he's saying, well, it's all about getting to the second NFL contract. Like this kid's not even in college yet, but they're, that's in their mindset that, this is the way that he could potentially, you know, make a living and take care of his family and have some generational wealth. And you have to have a plan for that. And it used to be, you want to be the guy uh, at running back. You don't want any competition. They actually want to be part of a two man, three man backfield and rotate to limit the wear and tear. And I think you might see something with yeah. Ohio in the future that goes a little bit more back to 2018 with, with the Weber and Dobbins sharing, sharing the load. I didn't think it worked that well. Um, but, you know, there were other reasons and other factors at play for that that, that limited the success of that rushing attack. But yeah. splitting the carries, I think, is something Ohio State very much intends to do moving forward. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, the thing under Ryan Day that you get, you know, that like everything is cyclical, as you know, in football. And the big-time teams, you know, they even Alabama came around to like when in doubt, air it out, you know, <laughs> over the last several years. But the cycle is going back, I do believe, uh, because of the way defenses have reacted to the spread style of offense and the zone read option stuff. But it's going back to having uh, a little bit more of a look of a power back because, uh, you know, and for obvious reasons, because the more you can spread a defense out, the more the opportunities there are there for true north-south runners because now all of a sudden you're running through arm tackle attempts as opposed to uh, square up guys in the – 
guys in the gap there waiting for you, linebackers, et cetera. And, uh, and these two guys, uh, Sermon and then uh, and, 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 uh, Henderson, they both fit that bill in my opinion because Henderson, man, you, if you watch the video, he sees a gap. He just goes. I mean, there's no, there's no hesitation. And yet he also shows the ability to outrun you to the edge. And now that's against high school competition. But, you know, some things don't lie. And the, as fast as a guy's feet goes in the amount of time, the amount of yardage he's covering in that span of time is a truism throughout. And I think that's what stands out is both of these guys have true running back mindsets. I, I think, you know, I had um... – Beanie Wells looked at both the films for both these guys that, that committed last week with Sermon and Henderson. And the one is, is already up on Henderson. There's another Sermon coming in a couple of days. And yeah, by the way, let me interrupt. I love watching those videos when you have guys on and they break down these fellas. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I love it too because they have such a unique perspective on it, having done it at a level that you and I could never even really dream of, uh, especially when we're talking about Beanie. But um, I, I thought it was it was helpful to look at Sermon before the injury last year, what he was doing as a junior, because you know everybody yeah. develops and gets better, and, and it was hard to understand, you know, why this guy would not be still prominently featured in Oklahoma's offense then or moving forward. Obviously, the injury uh, took care of one of those uh, aspects, but you know, he's he's well put together. You're talking about getting guys in position to run through arm tackles. You're not going to bring down Trey Sermon uh, with one arm. He did stuff. You know, there were a couple plays. I watched his junior highlight tape, you know, last week before getting ready to talk to Beanie and making plays, a couple catches out of the backfield that looked exactly like, you know, you had Jalen Hurts running around in that number one jersey, and you're like, okay, I can make that transition pretty easy because the offense looks similar. The quarterback's wearing number one. He's rolling out and making some plays, you know, finding a running back out of the backfield and Sermon's, you know, scoring touchdowns that way. He can do anything I think that Ryan Day would ask him to do, and – Certainly, it's huge for the program moving forward to get those two commits in, in Pryor and Henderson. But you know, Sermon is the guy that they need right away, and the yeah. fact that they got that to address, you know, not only the steps but somebody who I think, you know, and he said he will see exactly when he arrives uh, if he gets to arrive, how, how early, if that's May or not, yeah. when he graduates and when he's cleared. But if this guy, when he's physically healthy. I think he's he's a truly explosive, dangerous running back, and yeah. add that piece to what Ohio State already had on offense. That's scary. I mean, that that could go down as the move of the offseason. Uh, quickly, because uh, I've got to get this question a lot. Even I even get people emailing me Twitter Twitter questions. You know, on the Twitter, yeah. uh, etc. What's your best guess right now? Because we don't know. The, the unknown is crazy. I mean, what we're about to talk about has nothing to do with what reality may be a month from now or two months from now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you saw what Kirk Herbstreit, Kirk Herbstreit put out there. He thinks the season is in jeopardy yep. for legitimate reasons. And if you look at it, you know, straight up, yeah, it definitely looks that way. Well, what, what, what are you, what are you sense? I'll give you what I'm thinking after you tell me what you're thinking, Boston. But, uh, do you think we get the football in the middle of in the middle of July sometime, uh, or or maybe August? Or do you think the season is in uh, is in jeopardy? I think the way that it was phrased maybe last week by Kirk, who I I love Kirk Herbstreet. I have nothing but respect for Kirk Herbstreet. My dealings with him 
during my time in Columbus have been fantastic when I, and when I was at ESPN. I, I yeah. have, he is, he's earned his spot in covering college football. But with his platform, I thought there comes a little bit, you know, none of us should be uh, recklessly speculating on when it's going to come back. And he's going to be the person that people listen to most because of how big his platform is. If I was going to say right here, I personally feel like there's going to be college football this season. I don't know if there will be schedule changes. I don't know if it's going to move to the summer. There are a hundred different out, you know, suggestions that are out there for what might happen. Uh, I thought just the way he said like that he would be shocked that there'd be college football. I mean, that is his opinion. He is, I'm not going to take it away from anybody. I just think that it was, it, it, it might've up the, up the panic meter unnecessarily because no, none of us truly know. And he was right. just stating his opinion. It's not like he said the NCA told him there was not going to be college football, none of that. And, and he just, that's how he feels. That's fine. I, I am generally more optimistic, I guess. I think that um, as this, you know, the timeline changes for social distancing and now going all the way through April um, you know, all the Big Ten activities, those are definitively closed down into May. I think we're probably looking at a situation where there, maybe we get to the start. There, there won't be a rush to do it in June either. Maybe you have like a mini camp situation in July to ease in a training camp and get people back and acclimated on campus. But again, I, I don't know for sure. I just yeah. think right now, I, I, I before I thought, if you'd ask, we talked about it a week ago. I thought, well, maybe maybe late May, maybe June, they start to, to mix things in and you get the workouts going. I would, at this point, I think that they're probably not going to be on campus in, through June. Um, but again, that's just me sitting here and, and, and speculating. And I've, I always tell people, like I just did with Kirk, like that none of us truly know, but my, my best guess from what we're hearing is that there won't be any sort of way for Ohio State to engage yeah. in football activities until then. Well, the interesting thing, I mean, I saw that there was somebody put forth the idea that they could start up, I mean, possibly move the season to summer. Yeah. And I'm just going, well, what are you talking about? I mean, I don't even get that. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't even know why you would want to move it, you know, try to play it earlier rather than later. I understand how this COVID-19 virus works, you know, et cetera, from the standpoint of there's, there's a theory that things could die off to a certain extent. Uh, that's a wrong, that's a bad use of words, but could, could fall off to a certain extent in the summer when the heat comes, but they don't know that for sure about this virus. But I don't know why you would, why anyone would think you could move things forward. If anything, you're talking about moving backwards. Of course, the problem is, you know, and I know with college football and the NFL is the games are, most of the games are played outside, whereas an NBA, NHL, you know, you can play them uh, any time of the year. You could move the, you know, you could move the NHL and NBA seasons to uh, late August through what, you know, whenever, finish out the 2020, and then pick up again, you know, in some kind of a brief, uh, some kind of augmented, uh, or that's not the right term, but some kind of changed thing. Mm -hmm. But you, college football, you know, January and February are tough months. <laughs> you know, anywhere, uh, but especially in the north. So, uh, you know, I, I can see more of a an idea. Like I said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I can see more of an idea of possibly things coming back around in July, giving teams an extra two weeks of preseason camp to be used 
in a certain way so that you don't just run, you know, five five straight weeks of a preseason camp and guys are on their last legs. There'd be there would be uh, uh, cautions put in there and uh, and some limits put in there. But I could see the season being played to a certain extent, possibly in the fall. But I could also agree with Kirk. What what's critical is the next two months with this thing on whether indeed the curve does flatten in terms of new cases, et cetera. And uh, so I, I think making any kind of guess right now is hazardous, but people want to hear some kind of speculation. We know it's going to, life is going to get back to some type of normal situation sooner or later. <clears throat> and of course, being antsy and being in self-quarantine now for two weeks, I know I've been doing that for the most part, you know, you'd like for it to end tomorrow, right? <laughs> I would give anything for it to be over. And uh, what what I care about most, though, and I, like this, it, it sounds you know foolish. I I think I said it on this show last week that, I mean, college football is is how I pay my bills. It's how I built this house, uh, you know, for my wife. And and I didn't buy this how how I not how I built it, but it's how I got this house to put a roof over my. Let wife. me interrupt you. And it's how you were able to afford a Leroy Neiman painting, which is over your up over your right shoulder in this video. Well, that's that was actually uh, handed down uh, from my father, but uh, and Pete's Roadshow, I got you. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, so like college football, college football is my livelihood. So I would, I want to do anything I can to get it back tomorrow or July, or to make sure that there's a season. So I think that everyone, like, not everyone has to have that mindset, but that's really important to me. And I think for for people in Columbus and Ohio state fans around the country, that's important to them too, because even if you don't pay your bills through college football, that's uh, the tradition and and watching the Buckeyes on Saturday, that's a big part of the way they've always lived their lives. And that sense of normalcy, we want, we want and crave that back in our life. So I think we got, we have to remember that we're not guaranteed to get that if we don't take care of all of our business today. And I know I, I don't mean to, to preach about it or stand on a soapbox, but that's just the reality. If, if this thing drags into May or June and there's still concern about the spread and, and transmission of the disease in June uh, or July, they're not going to let Ohio State go back onto campus. They're not going to let any students go right. back on campus. But, but for football specifically, you're talking about a roster of 100 people, support staff of, of 20, 30 guys, training, training staff, uh, managers, you, you have any any gathering of Ohio State football. Like people have this idea that, that they could play college football without fans in the in the stadiums. A, it'd be miserable. Uh, it wouldn't be college football without the fans. But B, you still have several hundred people, 400, 500 people for two Big Ten teams in close physical contact, sweating and all this stuff. Like football is the most uh, in jeopardy that you could be if you if you had it a positive test for COVID-19. It, it, it's not going to be a matter of the fans. So the, the spread of it has to be flattened and, and non-existent, really. And I don't Correct. know if you get to that point. But that's why Kirk Herbstreit is saying that there is some concern. It's not a shock to me. Maybe, it, maybe again, it's the optimist side. But, you know, that's why there is a consideration in the mind of Gene Smith or NCAA presidents that it could that could be the outcome. But at, as we sit here in, in March, we just – we still don't know. Think about, but just think about the TV numbers. If, oh, gosh. If, if only parents were allowed to uh, attend the games, you know, like they, 
put forth with the NCAA tournament before they finally canceled the tournament. But, you know, uh, but you could space out, you know, the, the 300, 200 parents, you know, around in, in Ohio Stadium, you have plenty of, of six-foot uh, spacing. But just think of the, the TV numbers. It would, but then how would you parlay that into uh, the in making up the revenue you're losing from uh, ticket prices? Because the, the thing there is, it's like the TV numbers would be ridiculous, but our company's going to be able to pay uh, exorbitant sums to be sponsors of TV. See, that's the, <clears throat> the whole trickle. It's not even trickle down. This is like a whammo down um, <laughs> thing theory that's going on here with the economy, which yeah. will was going to take a, a while to get, you know, to kick back into the full gear or even like third gear, much less top gear. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there are all kinds of considerations out there. They have nothing to do with sports, but as we've talked about on this show a couple of times, last couple of weeks, sports are, are a major part of the economy. I mean, the amount of people who are involved in sports, the amount of people who make their living, you know, like us covering it, like uh, people working at it, the people who, uh, the service industries involved, uh, you know, and it's just run them down. I mean, it's, it's, it, it kind of reaches out like an octopus, you know, and all kinds of like different levels of life. And, you know, you look at the restaurant bar industry right now. Oh my goodness. You know, it's crazy what's going on and how many of those could even bounce back uh, quickly, et cetera. But like you said, the, the main thing you have to have here before you make any kind of ridiculous guess is you got to know uh, what's going on with the COVID-19 uh, curve. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I kind of equate it to you can get things pretty much cleaned out, but it's kind of like you're in a room with 100 people and one fella happened to step in a dog pile on his way in the door, you know, <laughs> it, it can ruin the room for everybody else. Right, and that's yeah. kind of what you're dealing with here. One guy, one person could still be, could sully it for everybody out of a group of 100. And this is what's interesting. And like I said, you know, can you, can you, de can you sanitize the Woody Hayes Athletic Center thoroughly every day after every practice, after every meeting? That's uh, – that would be too high a price to pay just to have football again, you know. And uh, and like I said, uh, but it, it is interesting because the when you really think about it, then I'm sure that's what Kirk Herbstreit was thinking about was just the far-reaching aspects of this COVID-19 compared to other things that college football has dealt with in the past, from the Kennedy assassination, you know, to 9/11, to all these other all these other little interruptions. I mean, the hurricane interruptions. Hurricane comes and goes, you know. There's mm -hmm. cleanup involved. There's misery for some, but it comes and goes. <clears throat> this is like a slow-moving hurricane that maybe hadn't even come on shore yet. And all we can do is control your part, right? Like that's yeah. why you and I aren't in the office right now. It's been closed for Letterman Row for, you know, three weeks now. We're going to – this is the this is the best we can do to hope that we get to do what we really enjoy later on. We've got to go through a little bit of a sacrifice now. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as, as usual, I appreciate Boston. You know him as Austin Ward coming on my podcast. And as I promised, ladies and gentlemen, we're back with uh, Leo McCullough, uh, deep snapper extraordinaire for Ohio State the last four years. Uh, and now, like he, like many others, are sort of sitting in limbo, but getting ready for the NFL draft. And, you know, Liam, I'm not sure you, you've you're thinking whether you're going to get drafted being a deep snapper, but you're thinking you're going to get picked up by somebody, right? But uh, 
your chance to show your wares uh, kind of went out the window when when these pro days all got uh, got canceled, including Ohio State's, which was set for March the twenty fifth. But just how are you keeping? How are you keeping your uh, you know your your mojo? I guess uh, to borrow a uh, Austin Powers uh, term, how are you keeping your mojo during these times? Uh, the biggest thing is just training, staying consistent with my training as much as I can. Um, the the fact that pro day was canceled obviously doesn't help. Um, but you know, as, as a football player and especially as a specialist, you got to be ready for anything. You got to be able to adapt, uh, you know, you improvise, adapt, overcome as some people say. Um, so I've been trying to stick with my training as much as I can. Um, I've been, uh, recording all of my snapping workouts. I recorded, um, some of my, um, some of my pro day drills. I recorded a 225 bench test. So luckily I am kind of set in a sense where if when when there have been teams that have contacted me that have said hey you know we're interested you know we we got questions about this that and the other we wanted we would we would have loved to have seen you in a private workout or at pro day um and i tell them look i've got some of these drills recorded um that i send you and so i i've sent them to to teams that have asked for them um i've put them up on my youtube channel um so that they are accessible so you know, if, te- if there are things that teams need to see, they can see it. Liam, uh, you know, I, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've been infatuated with the art of special teams for as long as I can remember. I used to carry a football around with me when I c- covered games way back when I was first started as a sports writer back in Texas. I've kicked a ball through the uprights in about, I think, 92 stadiums now, you know, around the country. Wow. Until my, you know, but, uh, you know, being 66 now, the right leg ain't what it used to be. You understand my, you understand my drift there. But, uh, but in your profession, especially the deep snapper, and by the way, I've always wanted to say this to you, my, one of my favorite lines uh, from Top Gun is, you live your life between your legs, Maverick. Remember that? Did you ever see a Top Gun? Uh, I haven't, but I've heard the quote. Yeah, I'm sure you have. But uh, if you've been around me a lot, you'd heard it a lot. But, uh, but the bottom line is, you've been nearly perfect through, you know, your entire career as a deep snapper. What do you think the NFL teams are looking for when they're looking at your ilk? Um, I think the two biggest things that NFL teams look for are consistency and blocking. Um, that's the biggest change when you go from college football to the NFL um, is that, that pro-style punt scheme that very few uh, colleges run. So they want to make sure that you, can, you're, that you can block, that your footwork is sound, and that while you're doing that, you can still be consistent with your snapping. And uh, uh, take me back to when, uh, for folks who don't, remember, you know, and make it, you know, you can make it succinct. But when did you decide you wanted to be a deep snapper instead of a wide receiver or uh, a or a linebacker? So it's the long story short. I kind of did it all through pee wee football in middle school just because I needed someone to do it. And then my, my true freshman year of high school, my, uh, during the summer, my varsity head coach, Vince Trombetti, uh, was watching me snap, and he pulled me into his office after, uh, after practice one day, and he said, listen, I want you to be the long snapper for the varsity team. And at that time, I think I was only the, the, the second freshman in, in Kilbourne history to, to play varsity as a freshman. So it kind of caught my dad and I by surprise. Um, and after that season, we uh, – we said, you know what, this is maybe something that, that I could pursue and try to do in college. So we started doing our research. We uh, found, we actually used uh, 
the website longsnap.com to kind of to to re, to research some uh, some colleges and that that website's actually run by my now agent Kevin Gold, um, <laughs> and uh, we ended up uh, researching some long snapping instructors and we we landed on Chris Rubio who we felt was the best in the business and who I believe is the best in the business um, and so I started going to Chris Rubio's camps and got uh, nationally ranked and then started hitting the the uh, college summer camp trail and start earning some scholarships. You know how NFL teams are. They, they, once they get a really good deep snapper, they hold on to them almost like their grandfather's favorite watch. You know what I mean? <laughs> it becomes almost an heirloom. Um, how tough do you think it is? Will be, will, will it be for you to break into the NFL? I mean, what, what, what's just your sense of it? I know you have overwhelming confidence right now, but uh, what's your, what's just your sense of how tough a road you are hoeing here? Yeah, you know, it, in any year, it's a, it's a tough road. Um, like you said, a lot of teams, you know, they'll hold on to their snapper for a long time. There are guys in the league now that have been playing for 14, 15, 16 years. Um, so it's it's very tough to get in, especially because everyone at that level is so talented and and very experienced in, in such a sense. Um, now, fast forward to this year with, uh, like you mentioned, pro days being canceled, private workouts being canceled it's even tougher because now it's all off a of game film. Um, and especially for schools, most schools who's, uh, who don't run a pro style punt scheme, who run the spread punt or the shield punt or whatever. Um, it's, it's tough to get the right tape and get in front of, in front of these, uh, these scouts and these coaches. But I think they realize it on that end too, um, on the NFL end. And, uh, hmm. you know, as, as tough as it is, there, there is always opportunity. Um, whether it's one team, two teams, four teams, whatever it is, there, there, there's usually around one spot open each year, at least for competition. Um, the problem is now you have potentially over a hundred people going for that one spot because you have everyone that's coming out in my draft class, as well as free agents that have come in last year's draft class and the year before that and the year before that, as well as veteran free agents that are either understated free agents on other teams or that are trying to get in the league or trying to get back in the league. So there's, yeah. there could be over a hundred people going for one spot. So it's very, it's very competitive and it's, it's very tough. Only 32 people in the world have that job. There's no backups, I know. nothing. It's crazy. I mean, there are fewer NFL deep snappers than I think there were uh, SR 71 Blackbird pilots. <laughs> so uh, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm an aviation buff. Sorry, man. Uh, but uh, everything always comes back to some kind of flying an airplane for me or or whatever. But uh, you know, it, it's it's just it's just interesting to me though because it's almost like you want to just endear yourself to someone because a lot of you guys are pretty good. Your video speaks for itself. I mean, the double cap removal video, for example, that speaks for itself, right? I mean, because. Uh, Specialists have a lot of time to kill, so to speak. Uh, and you and uh, Drew Chrisman were probably as good at killing time as any as any twosome I've I've ever run into. But uh, you know, it does pay to be a little spectacular, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. And and uh, it's what I mean, spectacular in a consistent way. Go ahead now. <laughs> exactly. You know, it it helps, and that's the thing is the specials is we we take our jobs very seriously. But we also know when to have some fun and when, you know, the right time is to have some fun and to lock in. And, and in an environment that's so, so tough and so stressful, um, as is college football, um, you, you got you to gotta have a little bit of fun. And I think we, 
over the last uh, over the last five years that I've been at Ohio State, um, and I know it'll carry on. But I know that we we tend to to do a good job of of having yeah. fun, also knowing when when to lock in and be serious. Yeah, I mean your shirt, your uh, your shirt uh, every year from uh, your changing shirt every year, but that didn't really change unless you look closely for chicken day at the hotel is legend. You know that, right? I mean, uh, explain where that idea came from in a nutshell. Yeah. So, so briefly, I, after my, my true freshman year of, uh, of camp walking in back in 2015, I saw, you know, I saw all the reporters there taking pictures. And By I'm the like, way, could you believe that we were all standing there to watch you guys walk into a hotel? Could you, could you believe that was happening? It give, a, give, give it to me from your perspective. <laughs> from my perspective, as a as a freshman who didn't who was just launched into this world of college football at such a huge, incredible university like Ohio State with so much tradition, um, I knew that everything would be big. So whether it's game day, whether it's um, you know community service trips, whether it's walking into camp, walking across campus, you know, there's always there's always people watching you, and that was something that Coach Meyer said that. And uh, that the coaches said is there's always people watching you. You're always representing Ohio State. So I kind of had a mindset, and I knew that you know everything was going to be big. But I didn't realize it was like I mean, it was like the red carpet at the Oscars or something. Uh, walking into you know, the higher <laughs> region. <laughs> um, well, wait, wait. With it, with it being the beginning of training camp, it also might have been us watching the Green Mile. You guys going in, you know, work for the next two weeks with no no days off. You know, go ahead. Oh. No. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so that kind of struck me by surprise. And then I, you know, I, after, you know, we got into camp, I saw the pictures and I thought, geez, you know, someone, someone took a picture of the backup long snapper, you know, that's a freshman, you know. And uh, so I thought that was kind of strange but kind of funny. And I, I remember asking Bryce Hands, I was like, do they do this every year, like stand here and take pictures of us? And he was like, oh, yeah. You know, they, they do it. It's kind of a, the, the kind of uh, – Ritual. Yeah. Yeah, the ritual kind of going into the season now, because now we're officially in preseason. And so I remember thinking, well, shoot, this is such a stressful time. This is such a, you know, this the, the next two weeks are going to be a grind. You know, everyone's going to be, you know, people are going to be excited to put the pads on, but, you know, guys are going to start hanging their heads. Guys move a little bit slower in camp that second week. So I remember thinking, you know, how can how can I turn this into, into something fun, something where um, – you know, we can, we can have a little bit of fun before everything, like I said, before everything really locks in um, for the season. Yeah. And I remember, I don't remember, I think I was talking with my parents and we just thought, what if we took that picture, if they're going to take a picture every year, take the picture from last year, put it on a shirt, wear it in, and you'll have like a, like an Inception thing. And <laughs> I actually haven't seen the movie Inception and I haven't, I hadn't watched it until this January. It's a great yeah. movie, but uh, I, oh, yeah now um but yeah so it kind of sprouted out of that we never expected it to I mean I never expected it to to kind of blow up how it did um but uh it was it was just something kind of fun that that you know my teammates and I enjoyed um and at first uh I got a little bit of heat from it from guys like coach Combs who didn't think that that was something very funny but at the end of that, <laughs> really yeah. Coach Coves didn't think that was funny. He's, he's a very intense guy, and I was the the young freshman, and so I, I caught a little bit of heat from that. But uh, yeah, that that's was, what... after that, you know, I had every year, especially this past year, I had players and coaches alike, staff members coming up to me saying, "Oh, is the shirt ready? Is the shirt ready yet? Oh, do you got the shirt for this camp?" And so it was a lot of fun. And, and at the end, you know, I had guys wanting to wear my 
my shirts from past years. I know uh, two years ago, Johnny Dixon wore one of my, one of my shirts in when he walked into camp. Um, we had some guys that wanted to do the same thing this year. And we, we actually thought about uh, making uh, like 50 or 60 copies of it and have and given it out to whoever wanted to wear it in the camp. But we decided to kind of just keep it small for my, for my last year and just kind of have that one, that one final shirt. Yeah, I was going to say that probably would have been against NCAA rules or something to do a 60-man thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But uh, but the bottom line is you did – you know, it's funny how tradition starts, you know. You know, who knows the first time they sang Carmen, Ohio, you know, in front of people. And then, uh, and then Jim Trussell made uh, the team go down at the end of every game – win or lose and sing Carmen, Ohio, and, you know, what you guys do now. And they weren't really doing that before, you know. So tradition starts in small ways. Do you think it will continue, this tradition you started with your brother? Or do you think it'll – what do you think it'll die? You know, would you rather see it be retired? What's, what's your take on that? You know, I really don't mind either way. Um, if someone wants to carry it on, they're more than welcome to. I'm not, I'm not a guy that's like, oh, you know, that's my thing. You can't do that. Um, you know, if, if Rowan wants to carry it on or someone else that's – more power to them if if they you know want to do their own thing that's fine too because i know that you know once i'm not i mean once once i started doing that you know uh you know sean nurenberger you know his last year at camp had a shirt drew started doing shirts right uh, so everyone kind of likes to have a little fun with it in their own way so if guys want to put their own spin on it they're you know more power to them they're more than welcome to they don't have to do you know the inception shirt if someone wants to carry that on they're more they're more than welcome to but you know, if guys want to do their own thing, then more power to them. Hey, you brought up Drew uh, real quickly. Uh, were you invited to his wedding, or was that a, uh, a vital personnel-only affair? So they, he, got ma- he got married. Drew Christman got married over the weekend, or at least he posted the photos of it. Go ahead. Yeah, so so they uh, – Drew, Drew and Avery, uh, congratulations to them. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, they, they were planning originally, I believe, to get married in May. Um, and they were going to have a traditional wedding. Um, but because of everything going on with the coronavirus now and quarantine and everything, they kind of did a, uh, a last-minute uh, intimate elopement wedding, um, you know, with, with their group of family um, in, the, in the Mormon temple and then shipped off to Hawaii for a, uh, a honeymoon. So I know that they – it was kind of a – not a last-minute thing saying that, you know, it, it was last-minute yeah. because of the situation that they were in. So yeah, I, I think that, that that was great for them. I'm so, I'm so happy for them. They're two great people, um, you know, and God bless them and wish them a lifetime of happiness. It was funny. If there's ever time you wanted to fly on an airliner, this might be it. Because number one, air, the air in an airliner is reprocessed every like three or four minutes, yeah. uh, has a HEPA filter and all these other things going on with it. Number three, they probably got on like a Boeing 6767 or something they were probably one of like eight people on it, <laughs> you know? So the only, the only crowds you run, you don't even run into a crowd in the airport anymore. So flying may be one of the safer things you can do from a social distancing standpoint right now. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually really interesting that you say that. Um, you know, that, I, that those same thoughts run through my head. Um, back in 2018, I took a trip to Hawaii and I oh. remember this massive plane that we took from, uh, from uh, LAX out to out to Maui and it was just there were so many people and I can only imagine now you know there being 10 or 12 people on this massive plane yeah. um, and the, the the flight price I was looking just because I was curious 
because um, I heard that that airline uh, tickets the prices were dropping, and I checked. I think you can get round trip to to Maui for like four hundred and forty dollars last time I checked, which is unreal. Yeah. That's like a quarter of the price. Yeah, my my wife and I went there a long time ago, back in the late eighties, and uh, we to get to Maui then you had to fly to. You had to fly to Honolulu, then take a Hawaiian Air or whatever, you know. And I remember, forget we uh, we landed, and there was a Aloha Airlines jet that earlier in the year had lost its top. <laughs> it was a it was flying from like whatever, and it landed at Maui, and it was still sitting there with the tarp over the opening. Yeah, it was a kind of a it was a big uh, it was a big uh, big situation there that uh, Aloha Airlines had to deal with. But being uh, up on things, I definitely booked my flying with Hawaiian Air that that time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was something to see that jet sitting there off the side of the runway where it had stopped or where they had towed it, where uh, the literally the top had flown off of it because of corrosion uh, for some problems. And of course, that saved a bunch of people's lives later because they found this problem. I think on a lot of jets and and fixed it. But eventually, they did you know get things straightened out. But I want to ask you how how much has your life been disrupted by this whole Corona uh, COVID nineteen uh, situation, coronavirus thing. It's been, it's been affected. Um, it's not as much as I would have thought it would have, um, you know, starting in January when I started doing all of my, all my, uh, training for pro day and everything. Um, you know, I wasn't doing much more than, uh, you know, going to the gym and training and then going to the Woody and doing my running and then coming back and eating and sleeping. Um, so I, I still do, most of that, uh, the locations have kind of changed a little bit, but, uh, uh, I also got a dog this, uh, this spring. So I get to spend more time with the dog, uh, girlfriend's working from home. So she's, uh, she's always here now. Um, Great. So, so her life has changed probably more than mine, but, uh, it's kind of nice. You know, it's nice having, having her and the dog here all the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, just kind of relaxing. Thank Speaking of movies, though, have you have you have you been by the Woody Hayes Athletic Center? It's basically uh, off limits to you guys, right? Yeah. So from what I had heard, um, they are obviously with everything being shutting down, gyms, training facilities, um, limiting however number of people can be in um, at one time. I know that the Woody Hayes is is shut down. Um, in talking with Rowan, uh, my younger brother, he has said that they're off now. I believe until May fourth or sixth or something like that um, yeah. they're still having they're still doing a ton with Ohio State football you know they're having virtual meetings they're watching film they're watching professional film and you know they're having to write critiques on NFL kickers punters and snappers um, and then present those to the unit and to the coaches um, I know they just did that yesterday um, so they're they're doing a ton of stuff they're tracking their they're tracking their food intake they're tracking their workouts everything so so yeah is Rowan getting a, a prepared uh, menu or a nutritional guide, or how how is that working? How's because because uh, Coach Day told us last week they're even shipping food to people, you know, you know, you know, different people around the country, et cetera, sending them uh, exercise bands, whatever it is that, that they can do, you know. But uh, what, how just specifically how's 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 that going just from a nutritional standpoint for Rowan? Yeah, everything's going great for him. Um, you know. Ohio State's team dietitian Kayla Olson is fantastic. Um, you know, she is – she's even quick to respond to me when I have nutrition questions, and I don't even play for the Buckeyes anymore. Uh, <laughs> she's great. She's offering all of them nutritional advice. Um, I know they're sending out whey protein and stuff to, to a lot of the guys. 
um, exercise bands, things like that, like you said. So they're really making sure that everything is, is staying on track. Um, really, they're trying to make it, and they've done a good job of this. They're trying to really make the only change the location. Yeah. How impressive is that to you, though, how people have sort of responded and kind of rolled with this punch? I mean, how impressive is that to you about Ryan Day and his staff and what they, how they've kind of, you know, adjusted to it? To be honest, it doesn't surprise me at all. Why, uh, why is that? Why is that? This, this staff, Coach Meyer's staff, Coach Day's staff, the, the Woody Hayes staff, Coach Mick's staff, they are – I truly believe they are the best in the business. Um, they are incredibly efficient. Um, they're, they're quick to make decisions and to delegate authority. Um, they are – there's – it's a, it's a group of incredibly intelligent individuals that come together that make a, an organization that can respond to anything. Um, and the, the swiftness and the efficiency with which they respond and adapt is, I mean, it's, it's second to none. You'd think it's the U S military. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's honestly incredible. So I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. Um, coach day and coach Mick, you know, really have total control over every aspect of the program. And I'm, I'm incredibly impressed, but I'm not surprised at all with, with yeah. how well and how smoothly everything's transitioning. All right, you're out of uh, – you graduated last May, not – you know, I mean, if I remember correctly, degree in finance. You know, anybody can get one of those, man. No, I'm just messing with you. Uh, uh, number one, how tough was that? And then I want to ask you some specific questions about what you would change about about an organization in a second. But how tough was that uh, from a standpoint of keeping – keeping your focus, you know, because football, even for the specialists, <laughs> there's a demand out there for, for your time, et cetera. But how tough was that to, you know, or do you, do you feel like you were sort of a driven guy through this whole thing? Absolutely. I had to be. Um, so first of all, from the standpoint of at Ohio State, there's nothing, there's no, nothing is accepted short of graduating. So you have to graduate, first of all. That's non-negotiable. Um, at a, at, on the football team. Um, it was, it was tough though. I will say it was tough, especially my senior year. I was taking, uh, I had, my GEs were already out of the way. So I was taking all, uh, four and 5,000 level finance courses and a couple graduate finance courses as well. So it was the, the, the lecture material was tough, but it was tough managing all the work I had to put in outside of class. Um, as well as balancing that with football. Um, so it was, it was incredibly challenging, but I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I loved, I loved what I studied. I loved my areas of interest that I, that I tended to specialize in and focus on. Um, I feel like I learned a ton. Um, haven't used much of it since, um, but that's okay because that kind of had to get put on hold while I focused on, you know, my last season at Ohio State and then now training for the NFL. Um, but it was, it was, it was tough. I'm not going to lie. It was very tough. Um, but came out, graduated with honors and Hey, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Hey man, uh, getting back to a spreadsheet and riding a bicycle are the same thing. Just get right back on it. Right. Yep. You might as well. The, the toughest part of it though is, is just staying involved with everything that's going on in the world and in the markets and, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal every day. That's, that's the part that gets tough, especially when you're, when you're in football season and now when you're training with the training for, for the draft and, yeah. and uh, for free agency and everything. So it's, it's tough to just stay involved. But what, if you can stay involved, it's not, it's not terrible. 
Well, I got news for you, brother. I think the textbooks are all being rewritten as we speak. I mean, with uh, with everything that's going on, including the sti- you know the stimulus, uh, the package that the uh, that the president and his people put together, et cetera, and the way Wall Street. I mean, the way the stock market's just plummeted. I mean, I think we're in uncharted territory as far as whenever this gets over the comeback. I mean, may, you you might be part and parcel of that. Then again, you might be in the NFL for the next fifteen years and uh, be looking for some place to stash your cash. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's, uh, real quick, though, let's get into this. Uh, and I don't even know if you have an opinion of this. I don't want to throw it out there. If you could change three things about the NCAA or about the rules that you guys lived under as uh, scholarship athletes for the last uh, five years, what, what's the fair thing to approach this, this, I don't know, this conundrum, this debacle about players being able to share a little bit more in the largesse? You know, Jordan Fuller, you know, your teammate – He's been quite, you know, he's been quite open about some things he would, he could see that could change like that and hardly anyone would notice it. But what, in your opinion, would be a fair way to go about things? Well, I really have, I have two thoughts. The first is what disappoints me is when I see things, I just saw recently, uh, I believe it was Trevor Lawrence that tried to start a GoFundMe campaign for coronavirus relief and it got shut down by the NCAA. I didn't, I didn't read into it. I saw the headline. I didn't see why or what the reasoning was or what rule it was breaking, but that's disappointing to see. Um, I, I understand there's rules and that there's rules you got to follow. And, you know, if, if they let this slide and then, then, you know, that happens and yada, 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 whatever it is. But it's disappointing when you have these student athletes that have this massive influence, um, you know, over millions of people um, around the country and around the globe. And they're trying to do something good and they're trying to help people and it gets shut down for, for whatever reason. Um, like I said, I didn't look into it, but that's, that's really disappointing. I mean, you see, um, all of the, you know, in, in Joe Burrow's Heisman speech, you know, he talked about, uh, his home back in Athens, um, and all the, the help that they needed out there. And you see the massive influx and inflow of financial help of support in every single way. Um, from the average person, from celebrities, um, you know, you see the influence that these, you know, these kids, because, you know, a lot of us still are kids, you know, even if we're 22, 23 years old, you know, we're still, you know, we're legally adults, but we're still kids. Yeah. Somebody's been telling you what to do your whole life. I mean, is what you're saying. Go ahead now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for these, for these young, these young men to have this level of influence at this age, it's incredible. And a lot of these guys that have this influence have a great heart. Um, and they want to do good and they want to help others and they want to give back to the people that have given to them and supported them and lifted them up to get to this position. Yeah. Disappointing um, to see that get shut down for whatever reason. Um, So that's kind of how I feel about, you know, the NCAA um, in that sense. Um, I know that. Let me interrupt you though. This is what, this is what to carry on your argument though. The interesting part about it is though they can use you meaning, you know, you, a scholarship athlete, to your likeness and whatever to, to promote themselves. I'm talking – and by the way, the NCAA is Ohio State. It is Michigan. It is Alabama. You know, it's not, it's not some, you know, sheriff's department sitting over in Indianapolis with just, just throwing out rules and stuff. It's, it's stuff that's voted on by the membership, enforced by the membership, et cetera. But it is funny how they can use y'all to promote things like the Final Four or the college football playoff or the – you know what I mean? But you're not allowed yourself to use yourself to promote yourself and or a cause that you believe in without 
jumping through some hoops. Now, there are reasons for that. We all understand that, right? I mean, Ohio State, a lot of the big-time programs would have a built-in uh, ridiculous advantage because they could promise you, you know, if you come here, you're going to be able to do this, that, and the other, make yeah. that money. But, but that's why I wanted to interrupt and, and throw that out there. It's just that's the conundrum. It's like it's, it's, it's I don't know, it's, the, it's almost hypocritical in some respects, but then if you look at it from a fair play standpoint – Maybe it isn't, you know, but go ahead now. Yeah, and I think a, a topic of conversation that gets, that gets pulled into that, that, that realm and that conversation is the whole, um, should athletes get paid for their image and likeness, their name, name image, and likeness. Yeah. And I've, I've really gone back and forth on this a lot because from my, t- from my standpoint, um, you know, I'm, I got a degree. I got to play five years of college football at, in my opinion, the greatest university in the world. Um, I got a degree debt-free. Um, you know, I got job opportunities out, inside and outside of football that I never would have gotten without athletics. Um, you know, and I got, you know, I got a little bit of a stipend so I can live, so I could live during those five years, you know. Yeah. I got a lot out of the university. I took advantage of everything that I could have through the university. Did the university make money off of me, you know, using my not name, image and likeness cause I'm not a big time guy, but, but did I, did I make the university some money playing football? Yes. Um, I feel like I got everything I could out of the university. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for what I got, for what I did, what I took advantage of. Um, so I'm good. I feel like I'm good. I don't, I don't feel like I needed, like I need to be, paid for my name, image, and likeness. However, I also see the, the standpoint of some of my teammates. I mean, if you look at guys like Chase, like Chase Young, Justin Fields, Jeff Okuda, Jordan Fuller, guys like that, um, they're bringing in massive amounts of money for this university. How many times do you see Chase on ESPN or, or Justin right. on SportsCenter or Fox, you know? Um, so these – and those, 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 you know, the university, those networks, everyone gets ratings and money flowing in because of these kids – Right. Uh, and a lot of these kids are coming from um, coming from backgrounds where they don't have much. And that money could go back to their families to help to be helping them. Um, yeah. So I so I understand that point. You know, I didn't come from that background. I came from a much different background, a much different um, area and lifestyle. So I don't I've, I've I've learned to understand that point of view as well. And I completely agree with that point of view as well. So I can speak for myself. And I can speak for my teammates, and those might be two completely different points of view. I think at the end of the day, the tough situation that you get into is if you pay athletes for their name, image, and likeness. Let's say, you know, you get paid as, as you would a professional athlete. The, the main problem, one of the main problems that I see with that is now, do you become an employee of the university? If the university is paying you to play football there, then you become an employee, in my mind, or that, or an employee of the NCAA. And at that point, then how does a scholarship work? Because yeah. then you, you get into the, you get into, you know, merit-based pay, you get into um, hire at will, fire at will. So if, if I have, if I'm a, you know, quarterback and I have a terrible two game stretch, do I get fired? You know, whereas now, you know, when you're on scholarship, you can't, you can't get cut for your performance. You're on, you know, yeah. there rules that govern that and that's the that's one of the the complications that I see with that one of the big complications 
um, yeah. is you now become an employee and you can be fired based off of your job performance. Yeah. I, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. So I, I wrote a piece with Jordan Fuller about this back in the summer of last year. And, you know, I brought the idea, well, you know, the, the you know, the, the first thought is everybody gets the same amount of money. You know what I mean? And then, then the next thought is four or five years later, the star quarterback, he's going to have somebody representing him because, you know, you're going to be dealing with, then you're going to want more money than the fourth string quarterback or the, uh, pardon the expression, the second string's deep snapper, you know, because you're, well, you're yeah. It is what it is. You're, you're worth more. And I said, well, that caused a problem. And like Jordan said, well, in the NFL, there are people, you have a locker room there and all 45 or 53 guys or whatever, they're all making a different amounts of money. You get what you get as your, uh, what are your, as your efforts or as your, your performance deserves. And, uh, and I said, that sounds good, but that's the NFL. Because like you just said, in the NFL, if you don't perform, you're gone and you get zip and they bring the next guy in, et cetera. You really want that environment in college football. That's not really when you're from a traditional sense, from the traditional Leo McCullough T-shirt at opening of camp sense, that's not what it's sort of all about. And yet you can see the argument, though, that, well, maybe it should be, but then that that's really the professional, you know, model. So college football is different from the NFL for a lot of reasons, and that's one of them is you're sort of guaranteed if you kind of keep your nose clean, you know, you're guaranteed a scholarship for at least one year <laughs> every year, right? And, uh, and they're, you know, they basically promise you now for four or five years. But, but that's, that's the whole can of worms that people don't look – all they want to do is pop the open – pop open the can, they don't want to see where the worms are going to go. Yeah, and uh, – oh, what was it that I was you, – you brought something up that uh, – that oh, yeah, you said that it would be basically the NFL. So yeah. then, well, does college football become like – do these become farm teams for the NFL? And the, and the thing is, is that those guys that – like Jordan said, these guys that go on to make massive contracts, um, you know, those are – or the, these guys, I should say – these guys that would, if, if college athletes got paid, these guys that would be getting paid, the, the star quarterbacks, the star receivers, the you know, star pass rushers, these are the guys that are going to be making those huge contracts in, in what, the next – if you're a freshman in the next two or three years. Right. Three years. So the question then you can – I mean, you can go down any rabbit hole and say, okay, well, can't you just hold out for three years? If you're the number one – if you're projected to be the number one draft pick, you know, and you're a star wide receiver, or a star quarterback. Can't you just hold out for three years? Because then, you know, in three years, you're going to sign an NFL contract and get a $20 million signing bonus. Well, then you get into the counter argument that becomes, well, my family back home, yeah. you know, they need money now. I want to be able to help them now. Then you get into the, the, the mindset of, well, the university is making so much off of me. I'm a star freshman. I'm a freshman that's, you know, better than 99 than every other player in the country, you know, the university is getting huge, you know, influxes of cash because people are coming to watch me play. You know, these networks are getting incredible ratings because people are watching me play, and I don't see any of that. So it, yeah. it becomes circular, and there's there's an argument and a counter argument for everything. And I, I to be honest, I kind of see both sides because you want, especially as as someone who's played five years of college football now and been in that realm for five years, you know, you want to see you want to see your teammates and your brothers succeed and you want what's fair for them. And what would be fair would be 
you know, for them to get paid for their name, image, and likeness for bringing yeah. in so much money to the university, to the TV networks. But there's, you see the flip side and the counter argument and there's infinite, there's an infinite number of counter arguments on both sides that can be made. And it's just going to go back and forth. And I don't know if, if there will ever be a, a compromise or a, a perfect middle ground. You know, as, as one player a long time ago said to me, because this, this argument, this debate has been going on since I've been covering college football. And uh, <clears throat> I started covering Ohio State back in 1984. And I remember talking to a star player back in that realm is you don't really understand the finances of it, pardon the expression, until about your junior year. You know what I mean? And then you start going, wait a minute, how come I'm not sharing in this? And, uh, and then you're gone. And that's the thing about college football, you know, except for Forrest Gump. Even, even guys like Forrest, I mean, Forrest Gump got six years, you know, when he played for Alabama. <laughs> but now guys can get six years, but that's not the way you want to go about getting six years. But my point is, but just by the time you kind of figure things out and or maybe you become valuable, your, your eligibility has expired, you've moved on. So that's what makes college football or college sports different from the NFL too is there is a finite amount of time that you could earn this stuff. Yeah, and I think, I think the, it, what it boils down to is I don't think – I think there are very few people that are going to say – well, I take that back. There are a lot of people that say college athletes get enough. They don't deserve it. Yeah. I believe that. Um, but the, the problem you get into is, okay, what do you do? How do you do it? And that's, there are so many variables that go into this. It's how could you ever, how, how, how would it ever work? And I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, but well, here, let me interrupt you. This is, this is, uh, like I said, this argument's going on since for I've been covering high state football for what 30, 35, 36 years. It's been going on almost since I first started covering high state football. Yeah. And I came up with a plan a long time ago I wrote about where I would, this was way back when I'd say I'd, every year I'd put $5,000 into a trust fund for Liam McCullough for every year he's on the team and is a, like I said, a member in good standing, which means if you stay at Ohio State for five years, you got a $25,000 nut coming out of school that you could use whatever you wanted to do you're you know and if you only stayed for three you got 15 the point and this was a long time ago when i wrote this but the point being you didn't necessarily get it now but you got it going out which could kind of help you set up a little business help you put a down payment on a house you know whatever and uh and that was just an idea the, the but what i'm getting to here is i think we're going to still be arguing about this 20 years from now because i don't think they're ever going to go to that plan. I think you're going to, I don't know what your stipend, how much did your stipend go up over and above? Uh, you, you were getting cost of going to school, right? Uh, money. Just give people an example now, because you're out of it now. What, what kind of, what kind of uh, finances were you getting from the college for being part of the football team? So when I was, it's different. So it, there's four categories. There's on campus and off campus. Yeah. And state and out of state. So there, so the two big categories are, are on campus and off campus below those, you have in-state, out-of-state, in-state, out-of-state. So the out-of-state guys always get a little bit more because their, you know, cost of tuition is a little bit higher. Um, so in state, so I was in-state, um, so I'm from Ohio. Um, <laughs> you're, he's from where you're Kilbourne, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> absolutely. Born and raised. Um, so when I was, on campus, 
living in the dorms and I'm in state tuition, I got around between 200 and $250 every two weeks. So there's a big pocket of money that would get allocated towards me. And then they pull out tuition, room and board, books, um, all that stuff. And yeah. then I get whatever's left. And so that ended up being about 200 to $250 every two weeks for on campus in state. When I moved off campus, that number jumped from 250 to 852. So, but now um, that's just your tuition and your books pulled out of it. Cause now when you're off campus, you gotta pay rent, you gotta pay for your own food. Um, you know, you can, I use that money to lease a car, uh, to pay my rent, pay my insurance, my phone bill, everything. So once I moved off campus, I was basically self-sufficient. My yeah. my didn't cut me off, but they were like, look, you got an income now, so we're going to help you if you need help, but you're going to learn how to budget your money, budget your expenses and, you know, pay for, you know, be an adult. So yeah. that's what I did. Um, but yeah, so for me, it was 250 and then 850 when I moved off campus. And that's every, and, uh, yeah, every two weeks. And, and that's why about 15 of you guys all live in the same one bedroom apartment, right? No, I'm just joking. I was actually a guy that uh, I was a guy that liked a little bit of my own space. So, like, I, I live in a one-bedroom apartment up in Dublin now. And uh, um, you know, when I when I moved off, I lived with my brothers for a little bit, and then yeah, got the place. yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting. And I, I, I said by my, uh, I think you you might sort of tacitly agree with me that I think this argument's going to keep going on. I think I think the maybe that eight fifty is going to jump to nine fifty or something. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, or, or 1100. But like you said, the, the thing that I think a lot of the athletes don't look at and, and, uh, you know, the more money you make, the more the IRS is going to look at you, you know, they're going to figure out a way. Uh, did you have to pay tax on your 850? Yeah. So it, it got pulled out of my stuff before I got my stipend. So taxes and everything got pulled out beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. So there, somebody was looking over your shoulder, taking care of you, the little angel that is the NCAA in Ohio state. Hey, well, you know, Liam, last thing, I'll let you go because, you know, you, you've been one of my favorite guys, you know, and the thing is, you don't, some of you guys don't realize who some of our favorite guys are because we hardly ever get to see you guys. Back in the old days, I used to hang out at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. I, like I said, I saw, I saw those, I saw John Cooper more than I saw my wife during football season. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, you know, because you could, you could just hang out, go to practice, you could talk to guys afterwards and stuff. As you will know, you guys are in a, they're going to call it the Woody Hayes Athletic Cocoon now because that's kind of, that's kind of what it is, you know, but, uh, but, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, what are you, what are you going to miss most about your college experience? Because like you said, you took that wet towel and you wringed it out about as well as anybody I've ever seen, as far as getting your degree, getting things paid for, uh, getting a start on grad. I don't know if you started graduate school or not, but I would think, you know, last season you were a graduate, you know, but uh, what are you going to miss most is it running out the tunnel and playing? What What are you going to miss most about the experience? Uh, a couple things. First of all, uh, I'm obviously going to miss game day. I'm going to miss playing in the shoe. Um, you know, it really didn't hit me that I was done playing college football until senior day against Penn State when all of the seniors were standing there in the tunnel before the game. And we just looked at each other and we said, damn, like it's been four and five years now. You know, and this this is our last this is our last game here, and then that's when the the tears started flowing. Guys were giving each other hugs. 
Um, so I'm, I'm going to miss game day and playing in the shoe. Um, I'm going to miss, I think the, the cheesiest, the cheesiest answer, but it's, it's a hundred percent true. I'm going to miss all my teammates. You know, I love the, I love them. I, I'm going to miss seeing them every day. You know, I used to joke with, with my girlfriend and, and tell them, you know, I, I see them more than I see her. I see them more than I see my family. You know, those, that really is your family, you know, yeah. and, even when you're when you don't realize it until you're you're until you're removed from it, um, and you know guys butt heads, and there are, there were guys that I disagreed with that I butted heads with, and I miss those guys too because you know those are my brothers. That's my those are guys I spent four and five years with. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and it's you know it's it's tough. It's 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 tough not seeing those guys every day. You know, you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm I'm ready to move up and move on, but you, you definitely miss it. You miss being a part of it. Shoot. I miss, I miss winter workouts at 6am and I miss mad drills already. Um, but (laughs) I miss that. So. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting is too the idea the, the eagerness for some guys to get to the NFL, you know, the NFL is a total different animal. There is somebody, they're always trying to bring somebody in to take your place or to make you think they're going to take your place the uh, psychological games that go on at that level are ridiculous. You know, there are very few guys that get past five years in the NFL, as you know. I mean, I'm I'm not talking about you deep snappers. You know, if you guys get a foot in, you know, you got it you got it made because coaches are so paranoid about special teams. If they've got a guy doing it right, they don't want to mess it up. You know, but uh, but you understand what I mean? I mean, it's uh, it's a uh, uh, what have you done for me lately kind of situation. Whereas in college football, yeah, it's what have you done for me lately, but. There is a camaraderie there, a band of brothers feeling, I'm sure, you know, that doesn't exist in almost any other sport because football is so many guys packed into such a small space, pardon the expression, you know, which is, by, by the way, why they got the Woody Hayes Athletic Center padlocked right now because, you know, coronavirus would flourish in that kind of setting. But the bottom line is, you know, we're all working. You feel for the same cause which is a natty you know a national championship and and uh and it just it's just it's just that time of your life and some guys realize it while they're living i think you did some guys don't until five years later and they go man i mean look at Jadavion Clowney right now you know i mean he's a free agent and somebody's gonna pick him up but he's had a ridiculously crappy pro football career you know and he came out was one of the greatest players ever, right? And uh, now he's being questioned about how – you know, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, the, the criticism, uh, the the uh, scrutiny gets really tough once you get to the NFL. And this is the time of your life, and you're one of those guys who has embraced it and lived it. I mean, Drew Christman, I give it up for it, to him, man. I mean, you know, he found the woman of his dreams and uh, got married, and he's still going to play, you know. But, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? Maybe you specialists have more time to think about things, to think it through. What do you think? Um, I don't know if we have more time. I think that I'm messing with you. Go ahead though. I know there's, I don't know. I feel like I have a different mindset for most guys. Um, you know, I was never, I wasn't a super highly rated recruit, you know, being a long snapper. Um, you know, I, I kind of always had to look at the big picture. I wasn't a guy, I wasn't a five-star recruit that came in and said, okay, I'm going to spend three years here and go to the NFL. And that's my plan. You know, the NFL was always in my back pocket. Um, and that was always the ultimate goal, but I, you know, had to look at it and say, okay, look, I need to start building a life. I need to start setting up plans B, C, D, and E, um, yeah. you know, for if the, in case the NFL doesn't work out. So I kind of had a, 
holistic view going in and throughout my, my collegiate experience of, okay, I'm not just going to, you know, put my head down and be a football player and shoot for the NFL. I'm going to, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to think about what else do I want in life? Well, I want to make sure that, um, you know, I can have a job to support myself and support a family. So I'm going to get a good education. Um, you know, I want to, I want to end up having a family someday. So I'm going to, you know, find someone, find a partner and find a, a woman that I can, you know, see myself spending my life with because that's important to me. I want to have a family one day. So, you know, yeah. I need to, you know, make sure that I can take care of my family and my parents and my grandmas. And, you know, I want to be, I want to put myself in a situation where I can provide for, for my family and my loved ones, whether that be with football, whether that be with finance, whether that be with anything. Um, you know, I'm just going to make sure all of my bases are covered and, I'm going to make sure I can get everything out of college that I can. And I feel like not a, not a ton of people have that mindset and not a lot of, you know, not everyone needs to have that mindset in college football. Cause a lot of these guys are, you know, three years and they're out, but yeah. I didn't, I didn't have that luxury. Um, or, you know, I didn't have that, that opportunity. Um, and, and long snappers don't. So yeah. I, I said, you know, I'm going to prepare myself for any possible, scenario that could come towards me and that's kind of the mindset that I've kept through college and the mindset that I have right now you know whether whether I get drafted whether I get signed as a free agent you know whatever's going to happen I'm going to prepare myself you know whatever whatever any coach needs to see in terms of film or uh you know workouts or whatever I'm going to prepare myself for every possible situation yeah you know you had more of the Ivy League approach than the get to the league approach as, as you were sitting there talking about that I thought that was kind of a snappy thing I just said I like that. Uh, but, uh, hey, last thing uh, for the NFL scouts who are watching this and going, man, should we take a chance, you know? Uh, how many 225s did you do? How many 225s did you do in that video? 20. That's pretty good. I mean, there were guys over at the, the combine and you didn't get the double figures. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, number two, you know, watch the video of you on special teams, on punt team. You wanted to be the first guy down there to make the hit or to get the uh, – to get the uh, world-renowned uh, down at the two-yard line, didn't you? I mean, there, there's more to you than deep snap, and you, there was a football player uh, in your heart, correct? Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, I, I would have loved to have had more tackles during my college career. Um, you know, I'm not the fastest guy down the field, but it, it's tough to, you know, be a, a dominant factor in coverage when you got, you know, first-round corners and – top three round wide receivers as your pun gunners every year. You know, a lot yeah. of my, all, all of my pun gunners that I've had are now, you know, starting cornerbacks and wide receivers in the NFL. So I think that's something that's, you know, when you're trying to race those guys, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to, you got to beat the best and you got to race the best. Yeah. But you had fewer yards to go because you just went straight up the middle, man. <laughs> you didn't have to curve. <laughs> I also didn't get drafted well. I probably won't get drafted first round either. So. There you go. I was going to say, man. Well, Liam, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure, my man. I've been wanting to get you on here. You know, uh, the restrictions, you know, with Ohio State football and interviewing players when they're, when they're basically under the, under the umbrella of Ohio State is pretty restrictive. But, uh, man, uh, I'm, I'm going to have you on next year when we talk about your first year in the NFL. We'll be looking back on it because, you know, you are – I mean, uh, there's been some great deep steppers come through Ohio State. You know that. I mean, heck, y'all's – one of y'all's team physicians, Dr. Jim Borchers, was – you know, he was, the, I think, the only guy to touch uh, Desmond Howard as he ran by 
on that punt return way back when. But uh, there have been some great ones, and uh, you're you're the latest in the long line, and and uh, it's been a pleasure watching you do your thing, my man. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I'd like you know I'd love to come back anytime you'll have me. All right, well, man, uh, stay self-quarantined. Let's don't be getting that coronavirus any time between now and the draft. And uh, and it's going to be a strange draft, that's for sure. But you're going to end up with somebody. I mean, uh, your consistency, I think, speaks for itself more than anything else. Because bottom line, the NFL, the thing they want the deep sniper to do more than anything else is get it from A to B. And then what happens after that? If you get in on the tackle, good for you, right? Yep, absolutely. Tapping so, and blocking is the most uh, important in the NFL. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it was great having Liam McCullough on uh, uh, Central Ohio, born and bred from Worthington, Kilbourne, spent five years at uh, The Ohio State University, rang that towel out in terms of getting his degree, being a scholar athlete, et cetera. And now he's, like a lot of people, is on pins and needles. And, uh, and, and I say that euphemistically, waiting for the NFL draft to come around, see where he'll end up. If he might end up being a free agent. He will sign with someone and more than likely make a team because he's that good. Liam, thanks for coming on. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching yet another Tim May podcast. We'll be back next week with somebody else interesting to talk to. Until then, we'll see you later. Thanks, Tim. God bless.